Hey there, if you are ready to build your service-based business from scratch and ditch your nine to five, then I want you to head on over to shedidherwaypodcast.com forward slash leap and download my free ultimate leap checklist and starter kit. Again, you can head to shedidherwaypodcast.com forward slash leap to download my ultimate leap checklist and starter kit to get started on building your service-based business and ditching your nine to five. Hello and welcome to She Did It Her Way, a podcast dedicated to helping you launch a business that allows you the freedom to create from anywhere, design your own schedule in a way that supports you, and pursue what it is that lights you up. I'm Amanda Bolin, your host, and it is time to do it your way. Okay, guys, we are back with another episode and podcast interview. We are sitting down with Helen Ficalora, who is the founder of Helen Ficalora jewelry. She has an entire line. It's very, it's extremely popular. It's beautiful. Um, but instead of me telling you what it is that she does and how she got there, I'm going to turn it over and give a big welcome to Helen. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I find your work inspirational, so I'm thrilled to be part of it. And I'll tell you a little bit about my business. My name is Helen Ficalora and I'm a jewelry designer. I create signature designs to inspire beauty, love, and peace. And they're made out of sterling, um, precious metals, 14 karat gold in yellow, white, and pink, and also sterling silver. I use all solid metals. So my pieces are designed to last a lifetime and be heirloom quality. Um, They're pieces that are personal to people. So you can kind of create beautiful designs within my line. And that's been a lot of the fun of my collection is that everybody who has a piece or has been collecting, each collection is unique to that person and what it represents. And that's been a kind of a foundation of um, my design collection. Well, and tell us then too, how did you get started? What was the inspiration behind it? And then We'll dive into some of the the business aspects of it and how you manage it day to day and also touch on the fact that it's super well known. You have some pretty influential people who are purchasers and buyers of your jewelry as well. So we'll get into that. But first, tell us the story and the background of it. Okay. Well, I wanted to create uh, something that was beautiful and meaningful to wear. And so kind of like most people creating something to fill a need that you see or a personal want. And I love jewelry. I started, I took jewelry making when I was in high school, even like as a child, I always was making things to adorn myself. And um, I was, I'm really inspired by being in a natural environment. And it was, I've been really fortunate to live in beautiful places. So I, I'm in a lot of the beauty of nature, um, living in Montauk and Olympia, Washington. And I just, um, I was, raising my family. My husband got sick. And in the meantime, I was running my family's beach resort and I had created this little boutique there. First, it started like, oh, you know, a social responsibility. We're going to sell sunscreen and um, things that weren't tested on animals from, you know, I saw I was selling like great products and then kind of evolved into a little gift store there where I sold uh, kind of hippie clothes that you couldn't find anywhere else because we were living on the West Coast and the whole, you know, people dressing more kind of like that wasn't, hadn't happened yet. And so I was, you know, finding all kinds of things. And in there, I was also put my, put jewelry that I was um, buying and reselling and then also my own designs. And that was sort of the beginning of 
the jewelry, you know, becoming a, a business. It's, it was a, is a long, you know, kind of slow, quiet journey as I, um, you know, started just kind of showing it to people and carrying around a case with jewelry in it and kind of being, you know, slowly, slowly testing and learning, um, about my jewelry. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning stages too, of growing and selling your jewelry, like, did you have, did you know that this is what you wanted to do or, or was it something that it just was a natural evolution and, and the progression piece of it? I knew I wanted to do something that was related to beauty and I knew that I wanted to do something that I could do um, besides running the motel. So the motel kind of was a seasonal beach resort and it was operating for a couple of months a year and then the rest was kind of paperwork in the off season. And I wanted to do something that I could do all, you know, all the time, not just at, just in summer. And the great part about the jewelry business is it kind of was busier when the motel was quieter. So it allows, um, like Christmas now is my super busy time, but the motel's closed you now. So it, it worked very nicely that way. It gave, you know, time to focus on the jewelry in the winter and then running the motel in the summer. And then people were coming to the motel and had a little boutique there. So I was showing people my designs. So I had that little testing lab, which is, you know, we can talk about as we talk about other things about the business, but having a testing lab is a really good way to, you know, figure out what you're doing. I, so I always think like the stores, they're kind of like my tests. You know, I see what people like, you get a chance to interact with people and um, with jewelry, it's like designed to be worn. So as you put it on people, you can see it's kind of like shoes. Do they fit? Do they, you know, clothes, does it fit? You know, when it's something that you're wearing, it's an adornment. You want it to be right with people. Mm -hmm. What was the tipping point for you in the business when you started designing the jewelry in the beginning? And then at what stage or how did you know that you're like, okay, this is here to stay. This is long-term. People are really liking it. They're picking it up and I'm selling it off the website, in the store, all that. The, t the tipping point, I think, you know, the jewelry got pulled into the monogram trend that had happened. And that kind of brought it to the forefront. Somehow I had been like sort of slowly working my way into PR and going to the magazines and meeting editors um, from some friends of mine from the motel who were involved in the fashion industry. I was pretty much an outsider in that world, but I was fortunate enough to have very kind people assisting me. And, you know, I was just kind of persistent. Once the motel closed, I'd be in, you know, I'd be taking the bus into the city and making appointments and, you know, going to see people. And in that period, I had designed the alphabet charms and I was showing them and I didn't know there was a monogram trend thing happening until kind of after. And um, all of a sudden, my alphabet charms got published as the monogram jewelry piece. Oh. And so... Um, so it ended up being published in publication after publication. And a woman had done a piece in the post about me actually saw my yoga pieces, a different, you know, and, um, did a piece on me for, uh, um, in the post for work, like working, you know, working women. And that piece kind of had the 
the alphabet charms, I used to do them like spelling out the word love because my mission was to inspire beauty, love, and peace. So I had the alphabet charms spell out the word love and they had put that in the center. And fashion people who had seen the alphabet charms kind of popping up on the radar and some of the fashion things read the story about me at the same time. So that was kind of, I'd say, the first tipping point. So, but I had no idea this monogram trend thing was going on. So I'm kind of like, I was a little kind of culturally outside of mainstream. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was, we were, you know, I was busy, busy trying to, you know, these things, orders were coming in like crazy. And I was out in Olympia and I went with my son to go kind of get some, do some holiday shopping because we hadn't really done any yet. And we were at like one of those little dollar store places. And I saw like, uh, a notepad, like a post-it notepad with a, was in the shape of a letter G. It was like kind of ridiculous. Like you wouldn't write anything on it, but I was like, this is weird. And then I saw a lip gloss, like in a little pot with like a letter on it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I had no idea. Oh, and you were like at the forefront of it. Yeah. I had no idea that this was like, you know, those bags and everything had a letter on it. Everything was like monogram. It was like this, this crazy monogram thing. So like I said, to the point of like lip glosses and notepads and everything. And meanwhile, mine, my charm was the like go-to precious metal piece that was being promoted by every, you know, every national fashion magazine and celebrity magazine. And so that was, you know, I'd say tipping point number one. And then the second one was when Martha Stewart and People magazine and the opening of my New York store sort of all collided within a short period of time. Oh my gosh. And that, you know, that was, <laughs> went from like, you know, after Martha Stewart did a, she did a little like um, an entrepreneurial piece on me. She was doing that on her show at the time and um, they produced it and waited till my store opened in New York and then kind of did B-roll in front of the store and put the piece together and put it on air going like in November, like, in early December, you know, late November, and the business just went up 200% overnight. It wow. Was, it was amazing. And, you know, after that, my store manager in New York said, I said, well, it's gotten really busy. And we had just opened the store. And, you know, I said, well, it's going to quiet down after Christmas. And she's like, it's not going to quiet down again, Helen. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like, there you go. That is amazing. So congratulations. Uh, you have multiple brick and mortar store locations in New York, Beverly Hills, Chicago, Dallas, Bridgehampton, Palm Beach. So talk to us about your decision and knowing it was time to scale and open more stores across the country. And then we'll kind of, we'll dive into the type of risk that comes with opening brick and mortar and how do you mitigate it and ensure that you are covering all your costs and still making a profit. Okay. Well, I started, um, as a mail order company. So, and then I had the store at the, you know, I was selling to people at the motel, but that was like in Montauk, it's three hours from anywhere. You know, it's very quiet. It's kind of, now it's become more popular, but it's more like, a, it was more a destination place, not a place you would necessarily open a big, you know, store that becomes a national brand. It's, it's a quiet little sleepy beach resort town. Mm -hmm. You know, good, good customers come, but it's, um, anyway, so I had, I was there and I was doing mail order and Olympia, Washington, again, not like necessarily the, you know, the hotbed of anything at that point. And I, I had, um, I don't know if it was at, because of the press I was getting, people were knowing about me and, but I only had, um, 
small amount of things online. And I had someone come out to the motel. It wasn't someone who's coming to stay at the motel, but someone's coming out to see the flower rings that I do. And they had traveled from Nassau County, which is about two hours drive, you know, and when you go to Montauk, it's the end. So you only come two hours out and go two hours back. And I said to my husband, I think I need to open a, you know, do something in the city because people are traveling like really far to come and see me. And, you know, it just seems like it would be right to, to open a store now. And he's like, Oh, they didn't just come to see your jewelry. And I'm like, they did come to see, come out to see my jewelry. They didn't come for any other reason to drive out here. At that point I knew I had friends who were looking for a place in the city for a restaurant that were, you know, city people, my customers. And I realized that there was opportunities to find a place that wasn't like crazy expensive. And that kind of goes to how to, you know, how do you know about, like where to open. So at the beginning, what I, what I did a couple of things is when I opened stores one a year at the beginning, based on where my clients were, cause I had a mail order company. So I kind of could pinpoint where people were. Second, I was, I was doing, um, by doing mail order, I was shipping to people. So by coming closer to where the customers were for shipping, cause we were shipping out of Olympia, uh, it made the shipping much faster. So it was kind of like pre the big online you, know, you can get it instantly. <laughs> well, you'd get, you know, like if I, if you're, if you're in New York and I'm shipping from Olympia, we were doing it through the post office at first and I was pretty quick at that point. But you know, now with FedEx, we can get you, you know, we could get it to people much sooner, like the next day or even mm-hmm. messenger or, you know, and at the beginning I thought the very f- first year I opened the store, I go like, okay, now we used to be in Olympia like crazy packing FedEx overnights and you know in, into Christmas Eve we were like we called ourselves Santa's elves it was like it was insane you know packing these packing things, you know we were like that FedEx commercial and but we'd have to try to get it out from Olympia and then um, it was going to like all you know east a lot of East Coast customers and so we got to um, we opened I opened the New York store and I said oh good people will be able to come to the store. We won't have to, you know, this is going to be great Christmas. We won't have to like, you know, go crazy shipping everything because we're going to have a store like mm-hmm. in the city. People can come and collect it from all over. Well, you know what happened that year? The transit strike. <gasps> and I was just like, oh no. And people couldn't come to the store. And then luckily they stopped it a few days before Christmas. But the, like, I was oh, like, my gosh. So everybody, no one knew when it was going to end. So people end up mail ordering it. <laughs> because they couldn't get downtown sure so you know you just never know as much planning as you can do you 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 know like you just never know what's gonna happen so yeah well how so how do you then manage all the locations then like do you have a strategy have you put people in place or what does that look like well first I picked um the first strategy was, you know, placing the stores and I was still running the motel at the time. So I opened a store once like every, I kind of find the spot in the spring before the motel opened and I'd open the store after the motel closed. Mm-hmm. So that was like my first strategy. I had to locate the spot. And then usually I went there and opened the store. So I'd spend six months at least kind of getting the store built out and operational. And I kind of as a, I didn't have like a team to do that. So I, you know, I'd maybe bring the New York, someone from the New York store with me when we did the opening and stuff like that. But most of the build out and everything was happening by, you know, 
I was doing it to find people in each spot and figure out how to make the store happen. You know, once I found the space, so I could, I could do like one store a year. I couldn't do like 10 stores. Right. And I still go back and run the motel, so I had to make sure whoever I put in place was going to be able to manage the store while I wasn't there. So basically, I put a manager in place in each location, and then you know additional staff to handle it. The, you know, they also did the mail order that went out of that region mm-hmm. as well. So that's kind of how I did it. Just kind of put a responsible person in place, and then I communicate with them. You know as much as I can, like kind of do morning talk and, you know, just kind of try to stay in a relationship. And most of the, you know, at the beginning I would go to the store and then I would spend six months there with the, you know, working in the store side by side with the person who was running it. So, you know, we'd had a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. What's been like the most challenging or biggest uh, I, yeah, I would say like challenge as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur managing your business and the growth of it, the inventory aspect of it. What, what was it when you look back, what moment or experience that may have been difficult in that moment actually taught you the most about being a business owner? Hmm. I don't know. That's a, I feel like I just put my head down and went. <laughs> I don't even, I didn't even stop to think. I just kind of knew this is what I'm doing. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm going there. Um, I kind of had a, like once I figured out the formula of what you know, I I don't I didn't want to have to make a lot of decisions over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made like my decisions. I make I obsess about everything, and then once I had the decision, that was it. So this is what the stores are going to look like. This is, you know, what the product's going to be, you know, it's not, wasn't a lot of like, I have to come up with a new theme each time I open a store. I kind of use the same formula for what the interiors, you know, with it, with some changes based on what the space looked like. Um, you know, I, I don't challenges. I mean, they always come. So, you know, I, I remember opening the Beverly Hills store and something was going on. I think we had, the light fixtures weren't, didn't have a UL sticker on them. And the fire marshal came out and said, oh, you can't put these up. So I had to find someone to buy UL chandeliers that looked like the ones that I was planning of, you know, in 24 hours before the opening, which had a lot of celebrities coming to it. And, you know, I was, it was just like, and I'm, you know, trying to drive around in LA, which I'm not that familiar with, which is, (laughs) Those who's driven around in LA is like a nightmare in itself to go to the store to make sure the guy's going to bring the chandeliers for me and install them. And, you know, that I'm going to pass this fire marshal inspection and get my certificate of occupancy before my party so I can have it. And, you know, one of my friends who's a producer said, Oh, this is what I do like every week. And I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot do this. <laughs> no, thank you. I would not want to do that. <laughs> it's like, uh, no way. I'm, you know, I'm just too low key a person to have to put live in that stress adrenaline space. Um, you know, I, yeah. And I, um, I want to go back though to what you said, because I, I find that it is a theme though with, um, high performing people and business owners is that they make decisions quickly and they move on and they don't look back. And from what you said, it sounds like you, you do that where you find 
systems or rules and make the decision and move forward and so that you don't have to make the decision again and you make it quickly so that you're not spending time or energy um, having to do that. Quick? I don't know about quickly. I'm kind of an obsessor. So I kind of <laughs> obsess. And then at the beginning, I had um, this this woman who had seen my jewelry in InStyle magazine and um, saw a little, I had these little um, the cherry blossom studs with diamonds and they were they were just featured beautifully, I think in the holiday gift guide from InStyle. I remember I was like, I had the them in my car and I was driving cross country because we lived between Montauk and Olympia, Washington. And we used to go travel between like, we leave the motel like in, when must have left in November that year. And there was this in-style gift guide with these cherry blossom study rings and they were selling. So I was like posting them, you know, going to post offices along the way as orders came in. It was completely crazy. And, you know, shipping them out to people. And it, uh, it was still in Montauk when this woman called me and she said, you know, what, these, these earrings are speaking to me. They look like, you know, like a Tiffany's design. They're just really beautiful. I don't know what it is about them. We ended up with this long conversation. And long story short, she was in Hawaii and became my business coach for a while. And um, one of the things that, you know, she, I started meeting with her regularly and talking about, you know, that's what Kim, I said, well, I want to do a mission statement. I want to do this. I want to do that. I didn't really have like a business plan. I was just, like I said, put my head down and go. I mean, I had strategies in some loose form, but I didn't have like, I, this is where I'm going to be in 10 years. And she was trying to help me get there, but I'm, I'm useless. Like I don't want to, you know, keeping a calendar. You're lucky I'm ready today. But, um, anyway, the, so we get to, um, so I, I realized that, you know, I had like a little team of advisors that I had kind of created on my own, but I couldn't like obsess with them on every little decision. So what I do is obsess with her, come to like a decision, then go to my team instead of wasting their time and kind of go, okay, this is what I decided. What do you think? And that helped a lot. So quick decisions. I mean, I do make a lot of quick decisions and I was just recently um, got turned on to that Gary V oh. and, you know, and the instant decision thing. I'm like, Hmm, I may, might want to try to practice that a little more. You know, I'm definitely an intuitive person. So, which I heard in a bunch of your um, interviews that there's a lot of intuition being used in, you know, people who are successful entrepreneurs. And I, I definitely feel that's part of the, you know, definitely part of my ability is to be able to trust my intuition kind of go or get like, you know, some like, I've been called a trendsetter and a lot of that just comes from like thinking some, knowing something's coming, you know, mm -hmm. um, to be able to forecast the trends, like create things in front of them. Well, and I mean, I, I do love too. like you were just sharing how you had a coach that you, you had that one person that you would flesh out ideas and, and strategize with so that you weren't expending your team's energy and time and you could just go with the decision I am sure like even now just my like having you say that and even I started thinking like okay that also probably has even more great greater impact than just making a decision from the team standpoint but then they also like I'm sure just the the productivity that comes out of it so that they know exactly what they're doing and where they're going well the team was more like advisory board so they weren't part of my business other than helping me like assisting me with stuff like making decisions or business concepts they weren't actually working for me they were just helping me like in my through my obsessions yeah 
how do you know, um, like, how are you planning for 2018 from a personal and professional standpoint? Because I'm always curious as to how people, how business owners set goals. Is it super detailed? Is it down to the, this is the exact task that I'm doing every single day? Or do people lead with their intuition? And like, just what does that look like for you? Oh, I'm definitely more intuition than a structural person, for sure. Um, for me, 2018, I have a couple projects that are, you know, being developed, but they're not. Uh, well, once I'm doing a sorority term project, and that I'm excited about, and we're kind of waiting for um, to get through Christmas to start launching that in a bigger way and kind of work out exactly what it looks like. So that's my big project. And then um, I have some new design stuff and then I have a few other things, but it's more like, I I don't know if I, I have things I want to do. Sometimes they take years to make happen. Some, you know, so it depends. I don't know if I'm answering this right, but I don't really have a great, like this week I'm doing this, this, and this. Maybe I should, but that might be what I have to do in 2018. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm just curious, like some people are they operate at such a high efficiency going and doing based off intuition. And there's other people that know themselves and they operate high off of having the specific task and, and list of things that they, they need to do. So I just find it fascinating on what, what trips into everyone's trigger, if you will. So what, um, how does like, what does living in flow look like for you or working in flow and how do you, know you're in it what do you do that helps you get into flow and how do you course correct when you know you're not in flow I mean I don't really think I exist in any other way yeah because I'm not like that taskmaster so I just kind of that's what I'm doing I'm going I, I have the stuff I know I have to do and I just do you know I do it and it kind of has to I'd say maybe like I'm the ultimate multitasker I just kind of plow through a million things at once and kind of prioritize as I'm moving through it. I don't, so I, I feel like I'm pretty much, I'm just, like I said, head, head down and I just go. Mm-hmm. Just getting it done. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> there's, well, a which lot, is a there's a lot of stuff to do, so I might, you know, get up, and I, I also have been taking care of my husband, he's sick, so I have to take care of everybody, and then, you know, try to get through all the, the stuff I have to do in the day, and, you know, do the, working on the designs, and the manufacturing, and the, you know, the, um, I have a team that's helping me now with social media, and so it's kind of just making sure everything's in order that has to be, and finding time to, you know, take a little walk here and <laughs> <laughs> getting getting out and breathing a little bit. Um, so I have two last questions for you. One is, what has been an inspirational book for you that you've read? Uh, there's a few of them. I I love the this book by Catherine Ponder called The Prospering Power of Love. And it's sort of a prosperity book. And um, I I it when I got I found it. I was thinking about this, like all the like all the the prosperity stuff. And, you know, feeling like, oh, I just go back and like, look that stuff over again, because it was guiding me a lot at the beginning, just kind of being, not being afraid, I guess. And when I started hearing the Gary Vee stuff again, I was like, oh, this is, you know, exactly where, you know, this is where you need to be, like, 
just enjoying life and doing what feels right. Um, so that that's one book. And then there's there's a few other books. I, I love this book called Happiness is a Choice. It's not really a business book. Um, but you know, I, I've, I read lots of business books, grow, grow your, grow your business. Um, I think that's what it's called. It's been a long, been a long time since I've been, um, by Hawkins. And then there's, uh, what's the other one? Oh, happiness is a choice. This guy, Barry Kaufman. And it's just a simple book that just every, everything you do, you can choose how you react to things in life. Mm -hmm. And, it's not necessarily a business book, but I think, you know, how you react to things in life affects how you behave in business. I a hundred percent agree with that. So you said happiness is a choice by Barry Kaufman. Mm hmm. Okay. And yeah, he had an autistic son. He wrote this book called sunrise. Him and his wife did a program, um, and pulled their son out of autism, which is pretty topical at this point, but it was from years and years ago. And then he wrote this book, a friend of mine shared it with me. And it's just like a little, it was a little paperback, same like, you know, the, the Catherine Ponder book. It's just, they're just, I call them dub books. Like they're just, it's so simple, like, but someone has to actually say it to you for you to get it. Mm -hmm. So, to well, me, sorry. No, 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 keep going. Anyway, um, so, you know, so simplicity is, I don't know, I don't think things have to be that complicated. And I think that's, I guess, maybe my motto, like my jewelry is simple, but it's beautiful. You know, the, the complicated part of it is the designs and some of the designs and some of the designs are super simple and how you, where it can be complicated or simple, but it's all, you know, I think flowing from a place of, kind of simplicity. I'm just writing that down because I like that piece of it. And it's a great reminder too, because I, I mean, including myself, I'm guilty of thinking that every, like things have to be this grand scheme plan in order for it to be this amazing company or business. When in all reality, you just keep things, keep them simple what uh oh go ahead no no it's okay um i well i was gonna ask then in your business like what would be the next thing i'm always curious that you would outsource i'm not sure what you mean by that um like if you could wave a magic wand uh and like take something off of your plate what would it what would you hire I'm someone a to do freak. i want more on my plate you want what I said, I'm a control freak. I want more on my plate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not about getting less. It's about getting more. You know, I'm trying to figure out the next project. So I, I simultaneously raised my family, ran the motel, developed and, you know, started my business. It's it's not about taking things away. It's about putting more on there, I feel like. Okay. I, I've never heard that response, and I it's such a different way and mindset of looking at it too, which is great. Um, is there anything, Helen, that I haven't asked or prompted a discussion around that you would love to share with my listeners about the journey of entrepreneurship? And I think if you love what you're doing, it's very easy to do it. Like if 
it's like any, I think anything, if you, if you find it difficult, and again, this is, goes back to that sort of concept of happiness as a choice. If you enjoy what you're doing, then you, you just want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you don't like it, like you say, well, what do you want to take away from, from your bit, you know, your work that you're doing? It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't love paperwork stuff, but you know, I, I do it. I guess that's what I would ask. <laughs> you know. But I still want to see what's happening with it. So that requires me to, you know, keep it around. So, it's just, you know, it's just stuff like that. If you if you like what you're doing and I like, um, then it's not a burden to you. It's it's what you're supposed to be doing. It's your pleasure. Mm-hmm. I think we'll, we'll end it on that then, too. Why don't you share where my listeners can find out more information about you and your business and check out your your jewelry line? Okay, I have a website, HelenFickalora.com, H-E-L-E-N-F-I-C-A-L-O-R-A.com. And then I have the same Helen Ficalora Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those fun things, Pinterest. So hopefully, you know, people can have a look at my designs. And it's beautiful for gift giving this holiday season or any time. Um, it, you know, it's just a, a perfect way to show someone that you love them and, that they're, you know, beautiful and valuable. And when you wear my jewelry, it makes you feel beautiful. So it's kind of a win-win. Love it. Yes. And we'll be sure to include all the information in the show notes as well. So Helen, thank you so much. I so appreciate you coming on the show today. You're welcome. I look forward to hearing how you put it together. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode. For more information, check out sheditherway.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to leave me a review on iTunes and let me know what you think. Until next time, keep doing it your way.